0: All right, here we are. So Shabbat Shalom, everybody. What was that? Shabbat. Oh, okay. <laughs> Today we're in Acts fifteen. A. So we're going to do the first twenty chapters, or, uh, twenty verses. I'm sorry, of Acts chapter fifteen. Uh, so put your open up your Bibles and put your finger there. Uh, before we do that though I want to I want us to take uh, a moment of silence today is Holocaust Remembrance Day um, and um, we'll, we'll take some silence to to think about that pray about that and also to commit to holding our loved ones close today because um, that is something that the the victims of the Holocaust um, could not do or the victims of the October seventh attacks. Could not do. So let's let's endeavor to do that. So let's let's take a moment of silence for for Holocaust Remembrance Day. All right. Thank you. Um, reviewing real quickly last week in Acts 14, which was another great chapter, uh, real quickly, one of the big things that was happening there was the that for the first time, Paul and Barnabas were teaching Gentiles who were completely unfamiliar with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was, as far as we know, a first for them. They hadn't gone, they didn't go to a synagogue. Luke doesn't mention that they were teaching from the synagogue. They were just teaching. And there was a lame man there. So that must have been out in public, out in the square. So they were in a place that didn't have a synagogue. Usually that's where they're going. They're going to places that have synagogues. Um, there are, we'll see later in this chapter in 15, where there are synagogues in all the cities, right? So they know this. But this was a place that they had been... Uh, recommended to go likely um, to be uh, to hide away from those who were opposing them and looking for them um, and so they were teaching people who had no idea they were more familiar with the gods uh, roman gods the greek gods um, and so them teaching this resulted in in uh, eyes being opened not only of the Gentiles, but of Paul and Barnabas, like what God is doing here with these, these Gentiles. And also there was the stoning too, so that was, that was a big deal as well. But um, this is, that's probably the most important thing that's happened in, in the previous chapter. This week in Acts 15, this is, uh, Grant has said this in the past, this chapter is what all of preceding chapters leading up to and after, after this chapter, things just start to like taper down, whatever. But this is kind of a peak moment, a pinnacle moment, a very important moment in the development of the Messianic community in Acts uh, in the first century. Uh, and so this is something that I, I don't know that I would ever feel I had enough time studying <laughs> to adequately teach through this chapter um, I studied as much as I could this week as usual, um, but I, f- I still don't feel like there was enough time to, to really dig into it and understand the implications, to understand um, the speeches um, really fully. It, it's either something that could take 10 minutes to explain or 10 hours to explain, and I'm going to try to do it in 45 minutes, but, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually try to get a little bit more discussion going today than usual. Um, so let's let's go ahead and just um, start out in verse one. Acts 15, 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay. The question here is around what? And the word here, the word is in the, in the verse here. What is that, What is that, What is the question here? Whether how the Gentiles can be saved. This is about salvation. It's stated here in the first verse. James will bring it back up again in his speech later on, uh, in in uh, twenty. Or in, in uh, is it 20 or 20 or 19? <clears throat> anyway, he's, he mentions salvation again too. So this is about salvation, okay? The men from Judea. This is understood to either be believing men from Judea or just more uh, non-believing Jewish people who are going up to counter what is being taught, okay? Because, again, the prevailing, prevailing understanding at the time was the Gentiles need to become Jews. Like they need to be converted. That's how they can be saved. And then they're taught, um, taught the Torah. So, verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So I can only imagine the kind of discourse that went on there between Paul and Barnabas, Paul being a very firebrand individual, Um, and then whoever these Judean men were that came up, uh, it was a great dispute, a great quarrel that they had. I can only imagine that. Um, And I would love to have heard this discussion, as well as all the other discussions that we hear about these councils these rulings that, that the apostles and the elders come to. I'd like to be a fly on the wall to see how that progressed, and we'll talk a bit about that here this morning. Um, something else that, that should be noted is the, the decision that was made earlier in Acts to, to go ahead and, and teach the Gentiles. This was a decision that was made in private. This was discussed in private amongst the leaders. And so it wasn't widespread yet amongst all the leaders of the Messianic community that this is now the position. Okay, uh, It was a private conversation, um, and, and so there would still be some dissension and confusion and people wanting to, to like, ah, what's going on? We've got to fix this from the Messianic community. Which is why we see now here, okay, here they are. They have this dispute, this discussion. Like, you know what? Okay, let's just take it to the top. Let's go to the leaders in Jerusalem and have it out. Because I'm sure Paul and Barnabas would have said, well, they said we could do that. This was the decision. The others would have said, no, I don't believe it. So they all went together. So the fact that these men from Judea went with them to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and elders tells me that these men from Judea may have also been believers as well, who were trying to... Uh, that, that's, that's a possibility. It's not, it's not certain, but that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking. So they go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Um, so being sent on their way by the congregation, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all of the brothers um this is this kind of makes me laugh. They're kind of doing a PR campaign on their way to Jerusalem. Don't you think? They're like, okay, there's still Paul and Barbara there's, there's still some disagreement here on the way there. Let's just spread the word about how this is going real great so that as we go we're we are expanding and enlarging the audience. Of believers and people who are who will accept this new reality of Gentiles coming into uh, the kingdom, right? Uh, I, they were doing this anyway as they were traveling through the through the, the areas. This this trip would have taken weeks to get from Antioch to Jerusalem. It was very far, so they would have been staying places, and they had been doing this before, where they would take a trip and they would stay and and and. Share about the good news and also about what God has been doing in the community, and there was joy, rejoicing, and all that. So this is just more of the same, but at the same time they had more of a reason to do so because they were going to to deal with this question finally. And so I kind of like to think that they were um, on their campaign stops on the way to on the way to the big vote down in Jerusalem, right? Verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the congregation and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Okay. You can be a Pharisee and still be a believer in Yeshua. Right? Right? And the fact that Luke is bringing up that they were Pharisees who said this tells us something that we need to know. Because in your verse 5, it says that they must keep the law of Moses. If you and I were to say that, that someone should keep the law of Moses, what part of Scripture are we talking about? Torah. Torah. Anything else? Not really. The Torah. The written Torah. And as elucidated by the living Torah, Yeshua. Right? So Torah, Yeshua. That's what we would be talking about if we were to say this. Or if uh, someone who wasn't a Pharisee in this moment was saying this. But, But the Pharisees, who are the precursor to rabbinic Judaism which is the precursor or the, the foundation or the, 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 um, the frame of what Orthodox Judaism is today. When they say the law of Moses, what is it they mean? It's a, it was the same then as it is now. What do they mean when they say the law of Moses, the Torah of Moses? It is the Torah and the oral Torah, the oral Torah, the Torah and the oral Torah. So this, I believe, is why Paul is saying that this is the Pharisees. The Pharisees were saying, they're rising up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses, the Torah of Moses, all of it. If he hadn't included the identity of who was speaking, the Pharisees, we would be having a different conversation, I think. But this, this is what the Pharisees believed then. It's what rabbinic Judaism and Orthodox Judaism is now. Written Torah and oral Torah. Keep it all. It is all Torah. Okay. So let's, let's take a look at this council, um, which is the next verse. And The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So this is the Jerusalem Council. Let's take a look at this for a second here. I'm fascinated by the actual structure of it, um, how it proceeded, um, uh, what was said. Uh, not that I'm a, a, a stickler for like Robert's Rules of Order or anything in public meetings, but as, as leader and an elder, I want to be sure that we're doing things in, in our congregation and in leadership the best we can that, that models the way that they were doing it back then. We've got a long way to go because they, all these men here were very uh, steeped in and, and had an intimate knowledge from very young of the Torah, of the ways of God, and, and of the customs of the Jewish people. So I just want to look at this here and just see how this all played out. So what, what do you understand is the role of a president In the simplest terms, what does a president do? Okay? OK. Look at the name the word president. What does a president do? He presides. A president presides. And in presiding, he maintains order. He is the chief, so he is the chief decision maker, you could say. He is where the buck stops, but more than anything, he presides. One of my favorite U.S. presidents was one that there could only have been one of, and that was George Washington. He understood what it meant to preside. And he was someone who had a very, uh, a very silent, present personality and character. He's, his ideal was to, to do so well at something that he would be asked to be more. But that, he, but that would be his opportunity to deny it, to, to say no to it. Um, that ideal for George Washington was Columbia. Columbia was a, uh, a, a mythical character who accomplished much and was offered the chance to become a god, and he turned it down. And George Washington wanted to be like that kind of man. He wanted to be someone who was offered godlike status, was offered kingship, but turned it down. There was more value to him in turning down that kind of power than anything else. So he had to be the first president we had here that was necessary because people at the time weren't ready for a president. They had no idea what that was. That was unprecedented to have a president. So he needed to be the one to do that. He also understood what it meant to preside. So you can imagine in Philadelphia or wherever they were meeting at the time, New York, Philadelphia, having these discussions, he was sitting up there quiet, listening, listening to all that was discussed, And everyone who was doing the discussing knew that they weren't the ones who were ultimately going to make the decision. He was going to be the one to kind of steer the ship. right? So, James is presiding over this discussion. James the righteous, James the son of the master. He's there listening. Now this this council may have taken a few hours. It may have taken days. Who knows? I think that the question they were tackling was big enough that it may have taken a lot longer than we would think. So there's James up at the head, or somewhere in the room where he can hear everybody who's talking the The people who were there uh, the council consisted of the available members of the twelve apostles, the available members of the seventy two who were uh, uh, sent out to to proclaim the gospel. Other prominent members of Yeshua's family probably present, and scholars from in the, that Jerusalem community. So this wasn't just this wouldn't have been just a handful of people. Uh, this would have been a larger gathering to to because James would have wanted to hear all sides. He would have wanted to hear any case for or against this question, so that he could make a ruling. In doing so, he was all but guaranteeing that his ruling would then be accepted by the greater number of people. If he heard more from more people, weighed it, made his case as well, then they could find consensus and there would be a much stronger lasting peace in the community. Does that make sense? So that this, was, this was wise. So let's look at uh, let's look at these how how this whole uh, council how this whole thing progressed. So we see here the the original question in verse one: Must the Gentiles be circumcised, i.e., become Jewish, in order to be saved? That is the question that caused Paul and Barnabas and some others to go down to Jerusalem to finally answer this question and find ruling and find halakha about it. Verse 5, the charge is that the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the Torah of Moses. That's the charge by these men from Judea. Right? Verse 1 says, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse 5, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So, Original question, charge. The rebuttal happens in verses 10 through 11. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Master Yeshua in the same way as they are also. There's the rebuttal. So, question, charge, rebuttal. In verses 16 through 18, is David or is James's proof text? He's going to speak. He's going to have the last word, and his ruling is going to be what stands. His proof text he uses a passage from Amos, Amos chapter nine, verses eleven through twelve, speaking of David's fallen sukkah. What's interesting is that he is what is quoted here isn't from the Hebrew. It is from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. This is interesting. Either that's because James quoted it, which he could have, or Luke, who was writing in Greek, used this version to put into this, into this passage. So there's a proof text. And then a decision is made in verse 19. It is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Then in verses 19 to 20, there are some essential prohibitions put in place. But that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, sexual impurity, what is strangled, and from blood. And then in 21, for Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues on Shabbat. Okay, so here is the structure. An original question. We in any congregation will have a question that needs answered. And there will be a charge. There will be one one answer, if this is a, a binary choice, there will be one answer that says, Yes, we must do this. We must, we must ask or require the people who come to our congregation, who are part of our fellowship, who are part of the body of Messiah, whatever, to do this. Okay, so we have a question and one answer. But that doesn't sit well, and it doesn't match up with some experience that we've been having, so that, that Peter has had, that Paul and Barnabas have had. So we've got to answer this question. Original question, charge, we come down. There is this great discussion Great debate, and I can imagine that most of the people there would come with their points and their proof texts as well. We saw earlier in, in Acts where they were d- debating whether or not to fill the empty seat left by Judas, and there were a couple proof texts that were, that were offered, and one was then chosen over the other. They decided to fill it, and they filled it uh, with uh, uh, Matthias, I believe it was. Then a decision's made. With, with, with a, 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 not a caveat, but with a uh, requirement and those four prohibitions. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues on Shabbat. Now let's remember, this is all about, what is this all about? This whole question is about what the, the Gentiles' salvation. It's about salvation, 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 salvation. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider the matter. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I uh, we already did that. Um, Peter stood up. Okay, so in this whole debate time, Peter stands up, and he gives a review of his experience in the early days, it says in my translations. He's basically uh, hearkening back to Cornelius. What happened with Cornelius? And what happened with Cornelius? What was the big deal that happened in that, uh, in that episode. And they received the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. That's big. That's huge, right? Because they received it. It's, it's almost as if they're thinking, okay, God skipped a step and just gave them the Holy Spirit. So they, they can't receive the Holy Spirit if they're not saved. So, the fact that they did receive the Holy Spirit means that God had basically done the saving. He had, been, he had done the circumcision. And what was that circumcision? Circumcision of the heart. Okay, so they're having to rethink this, right? And in the midst of this, there was that private meeting with some leaders in Jerusalem to say, yes, go and, and preach to the Gentiles. So that was private. So there was still some confusion and a public declaration and ruling had to be made and that's what this That's what this is. That's what's happening here. So Peter uh, recounts all that happened um, with Cornelius. Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So, We're on on the same level here. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Verse 10, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Would Peter, would he dare to call the Torah of Moses an unbearable yoke? No. What does, what does the Torah say about the Torah? What does Yeshua say about the Torah? It's easy. The, the, it is a yoke. It needs to be a yoke because a yoke does what? A yoke, yeah, what's that? Yeah, a, a yoke is what helps guide you to walk in the way if you're unfamiliar with it. You are yoked to another and it's, you walk in the way. So it's necessary. It could even be said that it's difficult. And that's not saying that it's an unbearable yoke. An unbearable yoke is not something that should be put on anyone, especially a young calf or young bull. You don't put an unbearable yoke on a, on a young calf, or a young bull. You put a, a yoke that is easy to help that, that youngling, that young, immature, growing individual to to come into this way, come into the way. So the yoke that Peter's referring to here, the unbearable yoke, is the requirement that you keep all of the Torah, so not only the Torah of Moses, but the oral Torah, in order to be saved. That is the unbearable yoke. Even, we could even say that It's unbearable yoke to keep the Torah of Moses in order to be saved. But that's not the point of the Torah. That's not the point of doing these things. It's certainly not the point of why Yeshua came to save. It is is an ancient understanding in Christianity, of course, but also in Judaism, that we are saved by what? By grace, through faith. That is a very Jewish understanding of salvation. But there are those who have always thought and will always think that you are saved by your works. You are saved by what you do. that's, That's missing the point here. So the unbearable yoke is this expectation that we're only saved if we keep the Torah. The Torah is for what? The Torah is what we do to walk out this saved life. It's what we do in response to the salvation we receive. It is how we are God's holy people in the world. That's the point of Torah. Verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of Yeshua Adonenu, just as they will. Saved by grace through faith. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So Paul and Barnabas shared their stories, all the things that had been happening. After they finished speaking, James replied, maybe for the first time, this is the first time he was speaking, maybe not, he probably was talking as well, but this was it. Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God, Simon Peter, Simon Peter has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And here is his proof text, verses 16 through 18. Um, After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of, of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it and the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. What's interesting here, I mentioned earlier, is that this this proof text included here in Acts is from the Septuagint translation which makes, uh, uh, which has a couple difference. Well, there's one difference in the translation, but what James does at the beginning and end is something also very masterful. Uh, Let me see here. The, if we look at, let's go ahead and open up, I'll open up my Amos. Do I have it marked here? I'm, I'm reading from the NASB. Amos 9, verses 11 and 12. So let me read the the Acts, though, first, and then I'll get to the Amos. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent, or the sukkah, of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord." And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Amos, 11, or Amos 9, 11-12 in the NASB. In that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David and wall up its breaches. I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, And all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. The big change, the big difference there is the difference between mankind included in the Acts text and what? It says here the remnant of Edom. How do you think that happened? Edom would have been spelled, um, it's either, I think it's Aleph, Dalet, Mem, Adam, Adam. So it's a difference of vowels. Aleph, Dalet, Mem, Edom, Adam. This difference doesn't make a whole lot of difference in the prophecy itself whether it's all of mankind or whether it's Edom. The point is that the nations will be called by God's name. So I just wanted to kind of clear that up. It doesn't doesn't make much difference that there's a different translation between Edom and Adam or, or man. What James is doing here is he's referring back to Davidic prophecy. He's tying Messiah to this Davidic prophecy uh, the, the sukkah of David will be uh, uh, restored and rebuilt. That the remnant of mankind, all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Again, we talked about last week that if the Gentiles are required to become Jews, will there be any more Gentiles called by his name? No, they'll all be Jews. Like it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a math question. Don't require the Gentiles to be Jews because there will be no more Gentiles. And we need to, the prophecy must be fulfilled that the Gentiles will also be called by his name. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this prophecy, uh, it, it matters. What James also does, uh, and I believe this to be true, is that he is tying in other prophecies as well. When he says, after this I will return... He is, he is referencing another prophecy. Let me see if I can find this. I might not be able to find this. I wrote it down. I know I did. Oh, where'd that go? Oh, no. Huh. Hold on. Where did that go? Okay. Oh, here we go. My notes here. After all these things, this is not in the the original Hebrew or in the Septuagint. After all these things refers to a couple different prophecies. One in Hosea chapter 3, verse 5. And it says, Afterward, afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. So this is... Referring again to the Davidic kingdom. Also in Jeremiah 12, verses 15 to 16, after it it will come about that after I have uprooted the Gentile nations, I will again have compassion on them, and I will bring them back, each one to his inheritance and each one to his land. Then if they will really learn the ways of my people, they will be built up in the midst of my people. So James saying, after these things, after this I will return. It's not in Amos, but it harkens back to these other prophecies that they would have been familiar with. And then he ends this quote from Amos with, thus says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. That is also not in the Amos passage. But it harkens back to a prophecy in Isaiah, Isaiah 45, verses 20 to 22. Gather yourselves and come, draw near together, you fugitives of the nations. They have no knowledge, who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God who cannot save. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? It is not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved. all the ends of the earth for i am god and there is no other i imagine that through this whole discourse and discussion and debate these passages would have been brought forth by others in the room right and james presiding over this is listening he's trying to make connections he's like okay that's a good point okay mental note that that's a good point Good. That's, that's not a good point. That's trash. Throw that out. Whatever. Like he, He's having to th- think about all this. He has in the room with him the most trusted men of the Messianic community at the time. People who knew the Master, who knew Scripture. And so he was relying on them to help him see what needed to be seen in order to make this ruling. And so he came up and he patched this this proof text together that from to us... In 2024 is like, okay, that's kind of random. It, it doesn't match up with, with what's written. That's not part of Amos, that's from somewhere else. I mean, I, I've, I've, been, I've read a few um, I've read a few papers on on why this passage was used and that the people there were in agreement afterward. It's like, how did they how was that the proof text that kind of made this ruling stick, right? But if you imagine like the context of this, it makes sense. They were coming, they were coming together, they were offering their ideas, their thoughts on it, and the proof texts, why one would why it would be one or the other. And he's gathering this up, and he's writing his ruling as they're talking. And so he says, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind they seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. And that would have been like creating a coalition of all these thoughts and ideas among the people, and that's why I believe they would have been like, yes, good, I agree. Now, would, have, would all of them have agreed? Probably not. There probably would have been some who were still just like, ah, I, I need it to be my way. But he was masterful in how he came up with this ruling that then, from that point on, the question was answered, it was done. This is the way that we're doing it. Does that make sense? Have, have you been in situations like that? I don't know. If it, I know that some of you may have been in leadership positions before. Like, how difficult is it to come to a consensus, to, to listen to your advisors and your experts? And and be like, okay, I've got to make a choice here. I can't please everybody, but I've got to make sure we are in line with our master and the Torah. And I know that I, as an individual, can't see it all, so help me out. And then once it's done, there's a point at which you know, okay, the discussion's over. Like, there's no need to talk about it anymore. Here it is. Boom. How many of you have, have had to do that? Tara? Yeah. I saw, I saw some nodding heads though like we know that this is I mean as parents we got to do that right like okay what do you want to do Jeffrey what music do you want to listen to Sarah what, l- what music do you want to listen to like okay let me let me put all let me pull this in my brain and come up with a good solution that doesn't end in uh, um, in some sadness <laughs> to say the least <laughs> that's a micro example of this but like yeah okay. And this is why this is so fascinating to me as someone in leadership. like I want to be able to do I want to be able to have a kind of gathering, a kind of discussion that is 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 led like this. Um, I want to be that kind of leader. I want to be that kind of leader who knows the people he has put in place or that have been put in place, not by him, but that have been put in place to search the scripture to know what is right and good, to to follow Yeshua, that the advice that I'm getting, if if I'm the one who has to make a decision, that I know that I'm getting the best information I can in order to make a decision that will impact many. Now, did they know at the time that this this was going to change the course of history? Maybe, maybe not. I think that what these men knew at the time was that every decision they were making was going to, be, was going to have eternal significance. Because if they had thought, okay, this is the biggest question we're going we're to answer in, in this young community's lifetime, uh, maybe, maybe more people would have shown up. Maybe there would have been more, more impassioned uh, uh, speaking and, and debating and discussion and, and it, it may have just exploded, right? But if they all just understood, anytime we get together, anytime we're, we're, we're having to answer a question about halakha, about how to live out this life, we've got to treat it like it's going to reverberate through the generations. I hope that's, that's what I believe about these men. I, I believe uh, the best about these men. So then at the end here of this particular passage we're looking at in 19 and 20. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Just a note there. What kind of, put yourself in the position of a Gentile. (laughs) I know, that's real difficult. Put Put yourself in the position of a Gentile in Galatia in the first century. What, what, what could happen to you if you start to do things that look a little Jewish? What could happen to you? Bad things. Okay? So there are these God-fearers who are turning to Messiah, who already have a lot of pressure. They may have targets on their backs. They are, uh, you know, breaking the law and their civil duty and the expectations of all the people around them, their family and friends, they're already under duress, we'll say. And James is basically going, and you're telling me that we should make this harder for them by telling them that they've got to do all the things that we can't do well in order to be saved? No. Like, be kind. These are humans like us. We're all in this together. Let's give them a break. Verse 20, "But should write to them to abstain from the things polluted to idols, or polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from that and from what was strangled and from blood. The key to understanding this is, is found in Leviticus. And in the Art Scroll uh, Tanakh series commentary on Leviticus, in part of the introduction, there's this very important passage here that lines up perfectly. It's, it's not even a passage, it's just a commentary that lines up perfectly with this verse. And it says this. Although, as we have seen, the Jews' mission of holiness encompasses his entire being and all forms of his behavior. So we're talking about halakha, we're talking about Talmud, we're talking about all the ways in which we interpret how to do the things in the Torah, from how you wake up in the morning, to how you eat, to how you put on your clothes, all that kind of stuff, everything. Although the Jews' mission of holiness encompasses the entire being and all forms of his behavior, the Torah uses the term holiness specifically regard to three areas. Idolatry, sexual immorality, and forbidden foods. One who curbs himself from forbidden activities in those areas is on the way to holiness. The one who indulges in those vices is considered contaminated. James here and, and the people there, the men there, I'm sure this was brought up before, they're chiefly concerned with how to, we'll say, fast-track the Gentiles along toward holiness with the basic behavior changes that will yield the greatest results. And this is something that has been known of old. Like I said in this recent Art Scroll Tanakh series commentary, they even mention it. holiness is associated with those three areas, And that's what's being said here. Abstain from things polluted by idols. So this is food, but it's also idolatry. Sexual immorality and things that are strangled and from blood. Food. The body. Because in the next verse, it says what? For from of old, Moses is taught in the synagogues. The point is to get them holy in their body so that they can go in and hear the word of the Lord. And start understanding how it is to live as saved people, because they are saved just like us, by grace through faith and Messiah. Amen. Amen. A redeemed people, so, so that the salvation of the Jewish people happened when. We're going we're to be celebrating it coming up here. The Exodus, they were saved. So James is like, how can we, how is it that the Gentile people need to have an Exodus, have a salvation, right? A redeemed people from Pesach must spend time, counting the Omer, to prepare themselves to receive the Torah on Shavuot. He's allowing them this time. He's like, okay, they're saved. God is doing the saving here for them. Just like he did for us, but he's doing it in a way not like us. We need to allow them to come in and and to purify themselves to receive the Torah. So this is like that period between Pesach and Shavuot. They're saved. They can hear the Torah. but, But before that, they need to be purified. They need to become holy by abstaining from these things. This is a, I, I'm pausing here because I have a quote here, but I don't remember where I pulled it from. So apologies for not giving proper attribution, but I'm going to read it anyway because it's good. And this is also the preparation for the holiest day, the festival of Shavuot, the day of receiving the Torah. So we think of the Gentiles need to receive the Torah. They've received God, they've received the Holy Spirit, but they need to receive the Torah now. For all seven complete weeks of the counting of the Omer and preparation for this great day. The preparation is to purify us from our shells and from our impurities and so that you should purify our souls or, or you should purify your souls from their grime and to become purified from all the impurities. And only afterward do we, re- do we reach the holiness of the festival of Shavuot, the receiving of the Torah. This preparation begins with Pesach, salvation, redemption. Its beginning is turn from evil so that one will be capable of receiving holiness. For generally speaking, impurity cannot be attached to holiness. Everything is to bring about the purpose of, you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 10 till 12. That did pretty good. So what are your thoughts about that? Any, any questions about it? We ask questions, I, we ask questions and stuff. Um, any thoughts I see you were writing a lot down yeah good deeper understanding is good okay <laughs> um all right um, that's that's all I have um and and unless you have any other thing to share we can wrap up Yes. The I'm glad that you, touched I, that's what I was going to share about the Leviticus, 17 and 18, right? But, yeah, it's in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like right in the middle of the Torah. Right. Like, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Centering um, us Do you have that um, reference handy, like, uh, or, or just 17 and 18? 17, I didn't write that down. So I'm going mean, to get into blood and chapter the first seventy eight about not having the blood and then um, on from there like thirst seventeen thirst we all meet and all of the only animals that have been left dying properly don't be done, mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. and then it gets into the law of the border and then anyone Uh, if you are to observe my laws and rulings, if a person does then will have life and it. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So Kim was just sharing about um, the, the specific passage in Leviticus that this commentary uh, would have been referencing uh, from the R. Scroll to series intro. Um, so yeah, so, so just to remember, like this is about salvation. At no point was the Torah and the laws therein meant to be, this is what you do in order to be saved. The Torah was given after the Jewish people were saved. This is how you live out this life. And so for these Pharisees to come in and say, nope, you gotta, you got to keep it all, you got to become Jewish, you got to keep it all in, in order to be saved. Like, nope. No, we're not going there. God has already made testimony that, that these people are his. And we are not going to test. We're not going to make him mad by saying, "No, you're, you you got that wrong. You did it backwards." God, <laughs> you got to do it for them like you did for us, and and require them to be us. It's, it reminds me of, and I'll 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 stop after this. It reminds me of when <laughs> I remember. I'm a I'm a. If there's one thing I do better than anything else in this life, it's sing. I'm a, I'm a pretty good singer, if I may say so, and. At one point years ago, this family came to me and uh, they said, "We would like for you to teach our daughter how to sing." And I've, I'm not a—I have—I don't know vocal pedagogy. I don't know how to teach what I learned. I learned it from singing since I was a little kid. My dad was in a gospel quartet. I would go to the concerts and I would sit on the front pew and hold the cue cards that had like the first few words of the verses because they would usually forget the, the verses and they were singing a cappella up there. And, and I just, it was, I was surrounded by it all my life from when I was a little kid. So as I was, as I said, yeah, sure, I could, I could do that. After what I went home, I'm like, the only way I could tell them to sing is for them to be born me. Like, I don't know how to teach you the way I was taught because that's just what I've been doing from, from a little kid. So I, I called him, I said, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't, I, I don't know how to teach. I don't know how to teach this. And they, they, were, they, they understood. But that's kind of what was going on here. It's like, no, they, they've got to be us. They've got to go through everything we went through in order to be saved and to, to be a holy people. There's no other option. But Paul and Barnabas and Peter were like, but they received the Holy Spirit. They're coming. Like, God has made testimony. He has shown us that, that they are called by his name too. So we've got to get in line with what he's doing. And so we've got to search the scripture. We've got to find where it is he has said this and be on the same page. Because we can disagree with each other, that's fine. But we've, we cannot be in disagreement with God about this. Cool. Well, thank you for your participation this morning. And let's go ahead and end in prayer and I'll end the live stream. Father in heaven, we thank you again for the writer of Acts. We thank you for the faithful uh, the faithful transmission of history, the history of our people throughout the generations and the millennium and, and how it is we here in this day and age can read from it, learn from it. Um, relate to it in ways, uh, but then find ways in which we know we need to have a deeper understanding so that we can be uh, as close to your people as we possibly can uh, because you are a good God uh, and you gave us uh, a Messiah who loves us as well, uh, our Bridegroom, and we long for him, Father. We long for him uh, and we delight in your Torah. So we thank you for this morning, for the Shabbat, a time where we can be with those we love who also love you, um, and fellowship and break bread. And I ask that you would just bless all of Beth Takoon this morning as we are in our separate places, um, and bring us back here next week where we can celebrate you some more together. I pray this through the name of our Master, Yeshua HaMashiach, and Amen.